Father, grant to us heart-awakening power that the Holy Spirit would give us the miracle of responsiveness to the gospel. Father, we are disinclined to respond to you, and we can go long seasons without wanting to listen to you. We pray, Lord, that we would bow before your authority, the authority of your grace, and we would sense its goodness to us. Beyond warming our hearts, Lord, beyond inspiring us, Lord, we ask you to change us. Help us to not just partition this Sunday morning off and then we get back to the rest of our lives. Invade the very order of our lives, Lord. Change our priorities, change our passions, change us at the place where we worship. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. His oratory was soaring. His imagery was vivid. And his, the cause of his speech was right. So goes a description of the I Have a Dream speech. Delivered August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King, Jr. A very captivating speech worth visiting once in a while to realize what it is that Martin Luther King, Jr. represented the oppressed, the injustices of, the, of blacks in the South and other parts of the United States. What made that speech so vivid? What made it so memorable? One aspect of it was not only his ability to speak uh, and his uh, eloquence and his rhetorical power, but the imagery he used was borrowed from Scripture, actually four Scripture, um, four scriptures under, undergirded his, his presentation. Amos 5, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Isaiah 40, familiar text for Advent, let, valley, let every valley be, shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain. Dr. King also used Psalm 30, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. In a masterful rhetorical uh, skillfulness, he weaved biblical imagery and connected it to the highest ideals of American, uh, the American experiment. And he also connected, though not quite directly, but indirectly, he connected the image-bearing equality of all people where he said there is neither Jew nor Gentile, quoting Galatians 3, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Again, that particular verse a little bit more indirectly in his message. His argument was that all of us are created equal in God's image. Why don't we have the laws and the political will to enact that as a people? So it's a stirring uh, imagery borrowed from the Bible, a powerful argument, and a right argument. So the imagery of hope, isn't that mar- marvelous? It's great whenever there is a time in a nation's history when someone speaks to the hope of the people. But of course, all that imagery isn't speaking about America directly. It's speaking about Christ. It's speaking about a Savior who can bring in this justice. It's about how serious the, uh, the sin is in a uh, 
uh, a people, the peoples of the world. And while that may stir us uh, for some political aspirations and hope, which it should, and the Bible certainly can and should inform the laws of our country, but the advent of Christ has begun a deep hope, and the imagery of this hope should capture our hearts. So just by way of some main ideas, you can see some sermon ideas there. We've been looking at the Isaiah Christmas. We've looked at uh, David's son, the imagery from uh, Isaiah 9. We've looked at God with us from Isaiah 7. Interesting passage last week, uh, chapter 11, the branch uh, that signals hope, the branch that comes out of the stump of Jesse. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And today, the new heavens and the new earth from Isaiah 65. Advent, let me just give you a couple of ideas here by way of the shape of the sermon. The advent of Christ reminds us of our true condition in this world. And the advent of Christ tells us what God was willing to do. And thirdly, the advent of Christ calls us into consider mode. You can see that there, consider mode as we think about our sufferings. So let's just explore for some time here. The advent of Christ reminds us of our true condition. We've been looking just in this sermon series about how it's very difficult for us to look at our true condition. We have a tendency to jump on trends and uh, ideas, current fads of our day. Um, They represent hope for improving mankind. So we've looked, I've been harping a bit at the idea of innovative technology, right? In fact, I meant to bring it today. The deodorant I use actually promises that technology will help release the the uh, the nice fragrance it promises te- technology is at work in my deodorant uh, I, I meant to bring that it's actually on the uh, wow it's just, you know so so this these are the kind of the buzzwords that infiltrate everywhere i'm sure it end up on some child's lunchbox this it permeates everything that we when we come across an idea let's say environmentalism Let's say something like that. We come across that idea. It's not just an idea. Yes, it's good to be environmentalist. It's good to be ecological and thoughtful. Yes, we are the stewards of this earth. But we do more with it. It becomes an uh, an ideology that we bow down to. So I've been harping a bit on uh, innovative technology, which is sort of a buzzword. And technology is fantastic. It's amazing. But technology really will not change your preschooler. Right. And so as you move along, and then you could insert teenager, and then you could insert young adult, and then the rest of you. Okay? So technology is marvelous and fantastic, but we begin to realize there's something about the core human condition that isn't being addressed by this current effort or fad, right? So what Isaiah 65 is doing is that imagery, the beautiful imagery of, of a restored Jerusalem and God's holy mountain uh, coming back into uh, fruition and really th- things are coming together and the, uh, the lion lying down with the lamb and all this imagery. This is, a, this is the imagery that we are to have about the finished work of Jesus. Something is really wrong and Advent actually highlights that. Uh, and I've seen this over the years. I, I know that Christmas is to be a time of joy and we want our children to have great time, it's exciting, presence, and 
But I know there's something underneath it that we all are in on the story, right? If you're not a Christian here today, we're so glad you're here. We want you to come to trust Christ. And maybe you're not familiar with the story, but most of us here are familiar with the story. We know that he is going, he is born into this world to serve the Father's purposes, to live in obedience under God's law, to be the second Adam, to represent his people, and to suffer and die. He, in many ways, represents our true condition in this world, the very birth of Mary's son. Look at verse 17 of chapter uh, of, of our scripture today, Isaiah 65. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. These are preoccupations in your mind, I would think. If you are worrying about some aspect of your life, if you are feeling the weight of some aspect of your life, something is not right in your life, you are feeling this condition that we've all been born into. These are the former things, verse 17. The former things are weighty things that human beings are always aware of and they will not fully go away. We can distract ourselves. We may be able to medicate ourselves, meaning abuse some substance to make the pain go away temporarily. We can, we can distract, medicate, figure out a way to avoid the realities of it. But they don't go away. And so this reminds us, Advent reminds us, that the former things are truly part of our experience now. What's happening here is this. Isaiah is speaking to people who have not yet arrived on the earth. He's writing around the early 700s uh, B.C. And there is going to be a tragic event happen to little Judah down where Jerusalem is. The tragic event is going to be, well, it's multi- a lot of tragedies. Judah will not learn from Israel in the north, who was radically diso- disobedient to God. The Assyrian kingdom came in and took them out in 722 B.C. Little Judah hangs on till 586 B.C. And then the Babylonians come ravage Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and take a remnant of people with them to Babylon. We have the story of Daniel and other stories. So, Isaiah is writing to people who know or will experience or are experiencing the return to Jerusalem. This place has been devastated. This place has been wiped out. In fact, there's one of the prophets who says that a forest, the forest has grown, grown over Jerusalem. Who wants, in fact, not everybody went when they had a chance to come back from the Babylonian exile. Not all of them came back. And that's a lot of work. I'm not going to go back to that. It's a mess. Point is this. These who experienced the exile are going to be reading Isaiah's prophecy. And they are going to take hope in the restored people of God, the imagery of the restored people of God in the new heavens and the new earth. So Isaiah 
is this panoramic prophet going from the, the details of seven, the 700s B.C., uh, talking to kings and the details of that, all the way to the new heaven and the new earth. Quite a remarkable prophet. He says in verse 17, The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. These are things of devastation, the unpredictability of life, the death of, of an infant that doesn't live many days, the true condition of our life is often, we are often preoccupied with many sorrows. And hopefully we have a church where we can actually enter into that. We can, we can talk openly. It's, there's sort of this, kind of this happy clappy kind of thing we get into in the church. You know, how you doing? You know, I'm doing fine, right? Um, some of you know I was in the hospital about eight weeks ago and I had issues with my GI tract and well, I'm back, I'm fine, and back up and running. And, well, the day I got released from the hospital, I went and, uh, you know, I was trying to think of some light activity to do. And so I went and got a haircut. So at the, at the barber's, you know, they asked me, well, how are you? I just got out of the hospital. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> well, not, not really. And then, uh, is, is, to, is today your day off? And I said, well, kind of. <laughs> and it was just this sort of thing. It was like my in... You know, to be honest and open with people, actually, I'm still recovering from a pretty serious bout. I'm not sure what's going on. And, you know, I mean, it's like, well, honesty. This is what the former things are weighing upon us. This is verse 17. The former things are upon us right now. You're experiencing it right now. The, that which is new, the full, the fullness of the future has not yet arrived. We're still longing for this. Paul says that the creation has been subjected to futility. Romans 8. We need memories healed. Look at verse 18. Drop down to verse 18. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. Look at that. Well, if we were the original audience coming back from Babylon, and we look at this, this, this city that's just devastated... And there's forest growing, and just it's it's all over. And we and God intends for Jerusalem to be a joy. We need a city of joy. We've been made as a people to enjoy a city of joy. I love that. It would be a great name for a church. City of joy, Presbyterian church. That's good. We need a city of joy. Look at verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. Look at that. God's face turns to his people and he communicates that he is glad in them. Of course, that's happened in Jesus already. The face of God will not turn away from you. And then as we think about the imagery of Jerusalem, it, it's this really positive picture that Isaiah has that, that this place of, of meet, where the people came from, from pilgrimages and came to Zion and they came to meet with God, they came there to meet with God, and this place had become devastated, and Micah chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 2 and other places begin to describe days in the future called the latter days. The King, the, the King James calls it. The latter days are days of joy when one of David's sons will be on the, over the kingdom, and Zion will be exalted above all the, all the mountains. Well, exalted in status, not bigger than Everest, right? Exalted in status. 
And so this is that imagery that the people of God will gather around an exalted mountain. That's happening right now. You've come to this mountain, the mountain of access to God through his mercy. So this is a city of joy. It's this idea that God is going to exalt his, the meeting place will be exalted. Of course, we now meet through the very body of Christ. That's how we meet with our God. It's nice that we have this sanctuary. I like this sanctuary. It's good that we have it. We could be in a field. We could be anywhere, anywhere, and we could be meeting with God because we meet through the very body of Jesus. So there is, though, anticipated a full and final dealing with the former things. The former things meaning that our worship of God is sporadic. Our worship of God is sort of hit and miss sometimes. Our sense of God's presence is sort of hit and miss, right? Well, this future is going to be constant and continual and always joyful, always always fantastic. This, this is kind of, the Christians, Christians are kind of criticized for this pie-in-the-sky mentality, right? Well, God is describing great joy for his people. We need God's face continually toward us, continually blessing us. And this future is going to bring this about. Surface solutions do not bring a permanent fix. Surface solutions just prove to not be a fix at all. Little Judah had tried all kinds of political fixes, and it wouldn't work. And ultimately, they were exiled because of disobedience. And often, our condition here, why are we so weighted down in this world? Why are we so weighted down? Well, we're all connected to Adam, and we participate in his disobedience. And so this weightiness is, is, is part of the sense of God's, God's judgment upon us. And in Christ, this has been lifted, lifted away. So Advent reveals to us our true condition. And this leads us to our next idea. Advent tells us what God was willing to do. What's needed is something that's enduring and permanent. What they had experienced, those who had, were the first ones to read this or hear this uh, oracle from Isaiah, they had experienced exile. They had experienced God turning his face away from them. And God now is promising there will be a day when they will interact with him and he will never turn his face away from them. In the advent of Christ, the eternal God became enfleshed with our nature, our very body, What was God willing to do? Come and take on the exile himself. God was willing to become exiled. That's what's happening with Jesus. As his life progresses, as he moves along, he becomes Isaiah's suffering servant, Isaiah 53. He becomes the lamb that will be crucified. What is God willing to do? What is God willing to do? He is, of course, willing to come through with his promises. Mary, in her prayer of response to the news that she will bear the Christ child, she says, Luke 1.55, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What is he willing to do? He's willing to come and take upon himself the exile, 
that was due all of us. He was willing to take upon himself the discipline to experience the separation from God's presence. And he was willing to do this to bring permanent joy. Thirdly, this leads us now to the advent of Christ calls us into consider mode as we think about our sufferings. Just how big is the just how big is the advent of Christ? How big is Christmas? Think about it. How big is it? For some, it'll be just this tiny moment, yeah, baby in a manger, some shepherds, a couple of Christmas carols, and off to the races, the new year is arriving. We get our planners, we're up and going, and the new year is already underway. Just a little glance, not taking in the whole whole aspects, all the aspects of what's underway. This moves us into consider mode, and we begin to realize how, as we begin to realize how big the event is that Christ has come in his first advent. Beyond even the questions, uh, or beyond even the stories of the shepherds and, the, and Mary and Joseph and the, and the miracle birth, the story is expanding. The gospel is really, really big. It's as big as the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah has been nicknamed the fifth gospel because his vision is filled with good news. This is the first stage of glory. Stage one is the, this is the, excuse me, this is describing that we know glory is coming for us. Glory is coming to this world. And the Apostle Paul, who thought long and hard on the advent of Christ, realized how this should shape his thinking as he thinks about his own sufferings. And he reflects on this in Romans 8. And he says that I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. That's Romans 8.18. Advent is a calling for us to move into consider mode. This means that in our thinking, we are actually to be working at this. You experience a disappointment. You experience a failure. You experience a betrayal. You experience the failure of human love. You experience hardship and difficulty and cancer. It goes on and on. We as a church are to be moving into consider mode. This is really part of the story, and it's a significant weight at the end of the story. It's a weightiness. When Paul says, I consider that the, that the sufferings of this present world, think of a scale, the old style scale, right? I think of the sufferings of this present world, here's how I think, right? They're so weighty. When I consider the sufferings of this present world, they are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to me. So in the consider mode, what is weighty is what is at the end of the story. We're to work at this. Some of us just bail out. We, we lose our patience. We demand something in this world. We become bitter. Particularly in suffering. Think about that. Think about how hard suffering is and all the various kinds of it. And so Paul is thinking about his suffering and he's thinking about what should I do with this? It's hard, it's difficult, 
I don't like it. I wouldn't choose it. But it's, it's upon me. It's happening. So what are we to do with this, with this world we live in? We are to have a weighty, there's to be a weightiness about this Isaiah 65, 17, new heavens and new earth. This is what we should sing about. This is what should shape our worship. This should be shaping our conversations. When a big event is happening in our life, we are really future-oriented, aren't we? Big events happening. Some of you may think back on some event in your career, college graduation, uh, wedding day. When the big event's happening, your your heart is already there, right? It arrives early, uh, weeks or months ahead of time. That's where your heart is, right? This, you're able then. Uh, I've, I've watched this on wedding days with uh, with brides and, and grooms, and uh, there's always some aunt who's very concerned that that something didn't go right in the wedding, right? And just and going <laughs> to spin out and. Uh, communicate how she's nervous about something and the bride is just happy as can be because it doesn't matter it's actually relative compared to what else is going on this small event right the someone a boutonniere didn't arrive or it, it doesn't the event the big event is shaping the bride's heart right the big event is shaping the groom's heart right this is this is what god's calling us to do you see the people who originally heard isaiah 65 they didn't. They didn't see this. They saw. They saw none of it. Infants were still dying. The temple hadn't been rebuilt, and when it was rebuilt, it wasn't even close to the glory of the previous temple. They didn't see any of this. They died with this hope. See, we we can see with greater clarity, though. Oh, that's the shape it's taking. Oh, that's the confidence we can have because Christ cried out on the cross. It is finished. And you can insert the new heavens and new earth into that statement. It is finished. The death of Christ and his resurrection have cosmic consequences. It's as big as anything can be. (laughs) It's as big as anything can be. Far, far different than a private little religious experience in, in someone's heart. It is massive in its implications. So, let's move into consider mode. And let's do this. Remember how that imagery of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, just think about it. It's, it's been archived and you can see, the, see the, the, the movie, the video of it. And you can see what that imagery can still do to stir the heart, right? Think for yourself. Learn how to apply the imagery of Scripture, the similes, the metaphors, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, to flood our hearts. My heart needs flooding because my present circumstances in life feel so right, so heavy. We must learn that this imagery is intended to lift our hearts, especially when it's connected to the accomplished work of Mary's son. Let's pray. Lord, big events really do, really do help us bear with 
with things that are not that big. And Father, I don't mean to minimize cancer, minimize suffering, Lord. It, it is, this, is, this is a hard, for some of us, this is, this is hard. And for all of us, Lord, we have aspect, we know aspects of what, of what this condition is like and how hard it is. And Lord, we come to you and we ask that, that the good accomplishment of Jesus, the, the goodness of it, the richness of it, would, would begin to season our hearts, become weighty as we consider how, how faithful you are. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had to just mull a bit, to look and to, 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 to stay with these images that you have always intended that your people would be in a city of joy and that their king will be always faithful and that your face would be always shining upon them. And we thank you for that ultimate victory of Christ on the cross, in the resurrection. And we, we thank you, O oh Father, for the mystery of the incarnation, that you were willing to do this for your lost world and to make it new again. We love you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. We celebrate the, the Lord's Supper as a church. Uh, it is a delightful thing to come before our God, and he calls us to a meal together. Uh, and so let us prepare for the Lord's Supper today, and uh, let me ask that you'd stand. From the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 22, how did Christ, being the Son of God, become man? Man. 